Morning, everybody. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Thanks, Penny. Uh, so we're in the third week of our Advent series. We've been talking about the renewal. Um, so Advent as the expectation of Jesus' return as well as the celebration of his coming um, and what it looks like to live in that kind of in-between time and to practice uh, these Advent themes that we often talk about at this kind of year of peace and hope and joy and love. Um, and joy is an, an interesting one to talk about because I think we're used to all, a lot of people link joy with happiness or think joy is the opposite of sadness. Uh, and so, you know, just don't be sad, be joyful, uh, as if it's that easy. And we all know that that's not how it works. Um, and actually, I want to suggest to you this morning that joy in the Bible is far richer and more profound than that. It's not actually an emotion at all. Um, joy is not so much connected to happiness as it is to things like delight and wonder and awe slowing down, paying attention, receiving grace and generosity. Uh, and joy is so much more than an emotion. And so I want to talk a little bit about the word joy itself. Um, starting with the English word and then we're going to do a very brief uh, Greek and Hebrew lesson. Very, very brief. Uh, and look at a really whistle-stop tour of what the Bible has to say about joy. But so the English word joy, said that, you know, often used for emotion, you feel joyful. But it's also connected to two other really important words. The word Enjoy, right? To enjoy something is to actually, you know, put that joy into practice. And then, of course, the other word is rejoice, um, which we usually use, I think, tell me if, if this is how you use it. Rejoice is often something that you do like out loud, like vocalizing joys to rejoice. But I learned this week when I was doing a bit of nerdy uh, etymology study on the origins of words that originally in Old English to rejoice actually meant to cause joy in someone else. So enjoy is to take joy yourself in something, like to actually take time to get the joy out of something else. And rejoice was to actually give joy away and to give it to someone else. I thought that's amazing. I'm really sad that we've lost that meaning of the word because I don't think we have another word for that. What's the word for doing something that gives joy to others? <laughs> Causing joy in others. It actually took me back to a time very long time ago when I was about three years old and my church at the time um, put on a production of a musical called The Music Machine. Has anyone ever heard of The Music Machine? Yes! And, and it's about the fruit of the Spirit and there's a song for every one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. And the song for joy actually talks about the fact that joy is something that you give away. That most people think that they want joy and they want to get it, but actually you get joy by giving joy. The joy is actually something that you do. You want to sing it for me? No? You can't remember it. Joy for me, joy for you. Joy is something that we do. So I was really um, intrigued by kind of these ideas of what joy is. And so trying to capture the breadth of those three words in English, it's really that first dot point that I've got up there that's kind of the emotional side of it. But that's just the very beginning of joy. So joy can be that feeling of experiencing delight. But joy and enjoying something and rejoicing is also about expressing that delight, about making it known, about it kind of overflowing and bubbling up. I think enjoying something is actually about choosing to delight in something, choosing to get the joy out of something. It's an action you can take to stop and to wonder and to notice and to choose to be delighted and to choose to experience joy. And of course, then this idea of passing it on, that in this family of words around joy, we can bring delight to others and we can even cause delight in others. So we can share the joy we have or we can actually do something that just gives joy away without having it ourselves, and we might actually get it back from them. 
There's a whole family of words in English that are related to this idea. Here's some for you. Delight, celebrate, revel, jubilate, cheer, gladden, and my new word of the week because I'd never seen it before, delectate. Apparently that actually does mean to give someone else joy, to cause joy in someone else is to delectate. I don't know if I'm going to bring it back or maybe we just bring back the archaic meaning of rejoice. But I really want to challenge us to think about what it means that joy isn't just something that you feel in yourself or you try to muster up in yourself or you try to pretend that you have when you're feeling sad. But it's actually an action or a choice that we can make. As I said, really brief uh, biblical languages lesson. There are two main words for joy in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is samak or simcha. And the Hebrew word is used 270 times across the Old Testament. That's actually quite a lot. It's more than hope or peace. Not as much as love. Um, but that's why we're saving love till next week. <laughs> no, it's really not about word counts. Um, but the word joy is used like right across the whole Bible. It's like a key theme with the Bible and I'm not sure that we notice or pay attention to that enough. It goes right back to the beginning when God takes joy or enjoys what he has created. God experiences joy. God experiences delight because he chooses to delight in or to wonder at, to be amazed by, to be pleased by what he has created. And so the biblical word in the Old Testament word kind of covers that same range as all of those English words, joy, enjoy, rejoice, delicate, you know, cheer, glad, and all of those. It can be all of those things, feeling, acting, expressing, causing joy. Then we get to the New Testament, something really interesting happens. The Greek word for joy is the word kara. And it actually comes from a related word, charis. And charis means gift or grace. And that's actually one of the most common words in the whole New Testament because it's about what God has done for us. God has shown us his grace, his charis. And kara is almost like the response to that charis. We experience joy because of God's grace to us. If we notice or choose to receive we are enjoying taking the joy out of that gift or grace that God has given us, then we experience joy. And that's used again 59 times, might not seem that much, but the New Testament's a lot smaller than the Old Testament. Joy is everywhere in the Bible. And so we could actually look at the entire Bible this morning, and the Bible Project have a great video on how joy is used right throughout the Bible. Or if you're looking for something to do this summer, serious challenge for you, go to your Bible app or your computer and search for the word joy in the Bible and just read through all of those verses because it's an amazing tour of the entire Bible from beginning to end to see how much joy is in there. But I just want to share with you this morning three things that I think from having a look across that sweep of scripture we can say about joy. And I am so not usually this kind of person, but I've got three points for you and they all start with the same letter. So really easy to remember. I know I'm going old school this morning. So the first thing I want to say is this from the Bible, that joy is an attribute. So rather than an emotion, it can be expressed an emotion, but joy in the Bible is actually an attribute or a characteristic. And firstly, it's a characteristic of God. God is a God of joy. Isn't that amazing? God is a God of joy. That's actually one of the unique truths about the Christian faith. God is not an angry old man in the sky. God is a God of joy. It is like an attribute, a characteristic, a disposition that he has at all times. So from the beginning of creation right through, God is joy and he has joy towards us. I think one of the verses that really captures this for me is found in the prophet Zephaniah. The book of Zephaniah ends in this way. Listen to these words. For the Lord your God is living among you. God is here. God is present. Emmanuel, that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. He is a mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love he will calm all your fears. 
he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. There are three joys in that. There's just that one little voice, a verse, sorry. God takes delight or joy in you with gladness. He will rejoice over you. He'll actually share that joy with you with joyful singing. It's like God can't get enough of joy. He's a joyous God who expresses joy and causes joy and receives joy and shares joy and sings with joy. I know a lot of people love that picture, that image. If you're ever feeling, you know, that God is not present, imagine the fact that God looks at you and it makes him so delighted that he starts singing. He bursts into song when God looks at you because he chooses to take joy in you. That's his attitude or his disposition towards you, his, attri- the, his core attribute. But it's not just an attribute of God um, toward us. It's, a, it's an attribute that God kind of gives to us. So an attribute that com- goes from God to us. And one of the famous verses about joy in the Bible is found in another obscure Old Testament book in Nehemiah, <laughs> where Nehemiah says to the people, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. And that's actually ambiguous phrasing. Uh, in both English and Hebrew, does that mean the joy that we have about God, the joy of the Lord? Or does it actually mean the joy that God has for us, the joy of the Lord? And it kind of means both. The fact that God enjoys you, that he takes delight in you, that he chooses to experience joy when he looks at you, is then a gift that causes joy in you. And that becomes, Nehemiah says, your strength. You know, Joy in the Old Testament is not much more commonly linked to sadness than it is to happiness, weirdly. It's much more common for the people of God to talk about joy when they're sad because it's not an emotion. It's not about pretending everything's okay or just turn that frown upside down. It's actually about in the midst of the brokenness and the darkness and the challenges and the difficulties and the sadnesses of our world, understanding that the gift of God who takes joy in us is to receive that joy and to have the strength to endure, to persevere, to go through whatever it is is going on around us. And then thirdly, joy is not only an attribute that we see of God in the Old Testament, of course, but it's an attribute of Jesus himself. And again, you could go right through the New Testament and see all the times where Jesus experiences joy. It's kind of amazing. There's a reason that people thought that Jesus was a drunkard and a glutton. That was his reputation amongst certain circles, right? Because he spent so much time sitting around tables, eating and drinking with people, enjoying himself, sucking the joy out of life, as uh, Robin Williams would say in that uh, movie. That's probably a really old reference for most of you now. Um, But choosing to take joy in the people around him, in eating and drinking, in the good things of this world, Jesus was known for his joy. And in John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. I have told you these things, and this is kind of everything he's shared with them about his love for them and what he's going to do for them and how he's going to send them his spirit. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will then overflow. Jesus is saying, I am a person whose disposition, whose attribute, whose character is joy. And I am sharing myself with you so that you might have that same joy. And not only that, but that that joy might overflow out of you and you might share it with others. And it might become a core attribute, a characteristic, a something that you are known for. And the early church was known for its joy, for the way that they rejoiced and sang and celebrated and ate together, even while people were persecuting them and trying to drive them out and kill them. They were known for their joy. So that's the first thing. Joy is an attribute of God. God enjoys you. And God gives you that attribute that you can be a person of joy. 
The second thing that I see going throughout the biblical narrative is that joy is also an attitude. It's an attribute, so it's kind of a disposition, a characteristic that you can be a joyful person. But it's also an attitude, and that means that it's a choice. You can actually choose to express and experience and share joy. And there's heaps of places in the Bible which talk about this kind of idea of joy being an attitude that you take towards something or someone. Probably my favourite is found in Luke's Gospel, where there's this story that you may well have heard of before. When Jesus is baptised in the River Jordan by John, and a dove comes and lands on him, and kind of the clouds part, I imagine, and a voice speaks from heaven. Right? It's like what I often call the gold letter part of the Bible. You know, sometimes you get Bibles where there's words in red because Jesus said them. Like, surely this should be in gold because God is speaking from heaven and everybody hears it. And this is what God says to Jesus. You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. That's what God says to Jesus. He chooses to look upon Jesus and take joy out of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. It's kind of an amazing verse to think about God saying that over you. I think if you put that together with the truth in Zephaniah that God sings songs of joy over you, you can actually take those words and imagine the voice from heaven, the voice of God speaking over you. You are my dearly loved son. You are my dearly loved daughter. And you, God says, bring me great joy. God's attitude towards us is one of joy. He chooses to take joy in us, which means that we receive that joy and we then can choose to take joy in all things. Paul says in a number of his letters over and over again, be joyful always, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, even like reiterates and repeats himself deliberately and says, rejoice. And it's actually a command that he gives. It's written in the form of a command. It's like, you know, do this. Now, Christians are often known for the things they say, do this and don't do this. The finger wagging kind of killjoys, there's an interesting word. The thing that Paul says you should do, the command that he gives to the followers of Jesus, be joyful. It seems like counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because if you think of joy as happiness, it's just just like put on a smile on your face and pretend to be happy. It's not what's going on at all. Paul is saying knowing the gift of God that you have received, choose to respond to that in the same attitude and take the joy out of everything around you. Be joyful always. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, can go so far as to say this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When there is sadness, when there is challenge, when there is difficulty, when there is war and destruction and chaos going on in our world, where there is messiness and brokenness in our own lives, when there are sadnesses in what is happening in our family... James says we can choose to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Not to pretend that it isn't happening, but to make a choice to wonder, to be amazed, to pay attention to who God is and what he is doing and how he feels about us, that we might experience, express and share that same joy. Or put another way, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, our hearts ache and yet we always have joy. Our hearts ache and yet we always have joy. We are poor but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing and yet we have everything. This is like the core paradox that's the heart of being a Christian. (laughs) That in the most difficult times, in suffering, 
The writer of Hebrews says, when Jesus is walking to the cross to give his life, he knows that it is a joy that is set before him. That's something to wrestle with, to sit in, to wonder and be amazed at. That joy is not just an emotion, but a choice we can make in response to whatever is going on. To know that delight that comes from God's grace. So joy is an attribute, joy is an attitude, and then therefore, thirdly, joy is an action. Joy is something that you do. I go back to my music machine song. What does it look like to do joy? To share joy, to enact joy. Again, we don't have a verb for that in English. (laughs) To express joy, to act joy, to be joy. Joy is an action and therefore an invitation that we can give and share with us, with others. It's an action we can take from us to one another. Um, it's a set of characteristic of the early church in numbers of times in the book of Acts. It's a key distinctive. In Acts 2, we're told that they worship together each day, meeting in homes for the Lord's Supper, sharing their meals with great joy and generosity. By sharing together, by experiencing one another's presence, by walking together as followers of Jesus, the early church is enacting joy and sharing it with one another. But not only that, they don't just share it with one another, but they share it with, with all those around them. They share it with everyone in their world and they become known for it. And the cool thing about joy is if you enact joy to others, then you actually receive joy back. It's like not a gift that you give away and you no longer have. It's actually a gift that you get more of by giving away. <laughs> There's a few things like that in the scriptures, right? We think it's something we want to hold on to, to ourselves, but it's actually in giving it away, Jesus says, that you will receive more of it back. Or as Paul says to the church in Corinth again, surely you know that my joy comes from you being joyful. <laughs> when you are joyful, I receive joy and I become joyful. And joy is an action that goes back and forth between us. And finally, probably most importantly, joy is an action of God to the whole world. God doesn't just be joy and express joy and talk about joy and make joy known, but God enacts joy. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas, this Advent season. And so I wanted to finish by taking us back to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, which our kids shared with us so well a couple of weeks ago. Because when the angel appears on the night that Jesus is born, these are the words that are spoken. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. What we are about to celebrate this week is God enacting joy once and for all bringing joy into the world once and for all. Jesus is the coming of joy into the world. And even more than that, Jesus is going to come back and make that joy complete once and for all. And we get to experience and express and share that joy with others in the meantime. And so this morning, I guess the question for each of us is, what does that look like in practice for you? To have joy as an attribute, a characteristic of our lives. To choose joy as an attitude we take, no matter what we are facing. And to enact joy as an action towards others. How do you enact joy in your world this week? We're going to talk a little bit more later about how you might do that. But as we've been doing each week this Advent, we're going to take a few minutes to sit quietly and listen to a song. 
And this is uh, a great song that, if I can be really pedantic, I would say it's not actually a Christmas song. It's an Advent song. Because it's not a song about Jesus coming and bringing joy into the world as a baby. It's actually about Jesus coming back and bringing joy to the earth once and for all. And so as you listen to this song, what other song could we choose when we're talking about joy than joy to the world? (laughs) Sit in that truth that God has enacted joy in Jesus once and for all and that he is coming back to complete that joy and ponder anew for yourself what does it look like for you to enact joy this week. Thanks, Ari. So we're going to continue uh, sharing in all of that together and unpacking what we've just been talking about together over our shared lunch in a few moments. But before we do that, uh, this week our creative activity is actually to plan a feast. Now, don't freak out. This doesn't mean you have to put on some extravagant feast. Uh, We're calling it a feast, but it's really just an opportunity to think about how hospitality creates space for people to enjoy, uh, to experience joy. And uh, so it's part of why we wanted to have a lunch together, but we recognise the lunch is kind of just for us. And as I said, our goal is to say, how do we take this out into this week and to all of the different circles uh, that we have the opportunity to spread joy? Uh, Love what Melinda said about giving joy to others and uh, causing delight to others. And uh, so I wonder whether you want to call yours a delictate gathering as your, there you go, as a way of uh, being able to remember what we've talked about today. Uh, But we have these very simple rundowns that Phil has done a spectacular job putting together that have three very, very simple questions for you to think about. So the first question is, who are you going to invite? So it could just be one person or it could be a bunch of people. So who are you going to invite? What are you going to do? So it could be that you have people over to your house for a meal. It could be that you go and grab a coffee with someone. It could be that you go out for dinner. And then when are you going to do it? So make a plan, and obviously that's contingent on when the other person might be available. So just a vague plan. So is it this week? So you can try and do it between now and Christmas. Is it that you're going to try and do it the week between Christmas and New Year's? Or is it that you're going to plan to do it in January? So we'd love you to kind of think about roughly this is when I'm going to try and do it and get all of that down. And the hope is that then you can take this with you and you can put it on your fridge or you can put it on your bathroom mirror or somewhere that you're going to remember, oh yeah, that's right, I was going to do that. So we're going to give you about five minutes or so uh, at the tables. There are a bunch of these pieces of paper and some texters. So you can come and grab one of those uh, and then jot down. Answer those three questions. Who are you going to invite? What are you going to do? When are you going to do it? And uh, then we'll come back together and wrap up this part of our gathering and move into coffees and lunch.